0: They're all worried about their sales cycle. They're worried about how they're selling. They're worried about what their perception is. You know, they're worried about their timelines. They're not taking the time to understand that we can influence the timeline. But it isn't our timeline that's going to complete a sale. It isn't our timeline that's going to find somebody to fill the top of the funnel. We have to uncover what the other people are thinking about, how they are thinking about the problems, understand the context in which they are operating to better connect what we do to it. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast.
1: Well welcome back listeners to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today's episode is going to be quite interesting and I want you to tune in not tune out. So today's episode is going to be around selling but I think you'll be really surprised and really appreciate the perspective that um, my guest today has on selling and why selling you know it you know the way that he does it with integrity and um, how it's a natural flow to make it work to close bigger deals. So I don't want to steal all of Chad's thunder, but I do want to formally introduce him and then get into the podcast episode because I'm sure you'll agree once you listen to this episode that you're going to find some valuable information, whether you're face-to-face selling, selling on the phone, whether you're writing copy or content for your website or your social media, that he's got a lot of information that's very easy to implement and to use. So Chad Sanderson has been uh, leading uh, sales and marketing teams to success for over 20 years uh, through his Uh, proven and predictable value selling framework. Chad has also been named one of the uh, top five emerging training leaders and he's worked in sales, he's built teams and he's achieved targets both within organizations as a consultant. He cuts through the outdated theory-based fluff that's so often attributed to sales training and gets down to the nitty-gritty with a raw, no BS perspective to look at what's working, what's not working, and where many uh, there may be many opportunities for you and I and our business to drive predictable revenue growth through sales optimization. So I wanna welcome Chad Sanderson to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, Chad, uh, welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you had, uh, taking
0: the time to have me on.
1: So I'm super excited because I love sales and marketing, and I know that people have all sorts of ideas about sales. But uh, why don't you share just a little bit of your background, of, You know of what you do and how you got into the space that you're in? Yeah, so I
0: actually started my career in marketing of all places. And and believe it or not, my advanced degree, my MBA is focused in marketing. I spent 10 years, about 10 years uh, doing marketing, running global marketing for software companies. Got my MBA in marketing. And 48 hours after I got my MBA, it dawned on me that, wait a minute, these salespeople they're making a hell of a lot more money than me and they're not any <laughs> smarter. So I think I need to rethink this. And so I jumped into sales. I went from you know running a global marketing organization to being an individual contributor, carrying a bag uh, with quota attainment over my head and you know all the things that come with being that type of role. I was lucky enough to actually be trained in the value selling framework. Actually, I should say forced into it because I'm not necessarily the easiest person to train. And <laughs> it helped me... Closed my first million dollar deal and sat in 93 days. And then within 180 days, I was up to multi-million dollar deals. And I thought, well, hell, if this is good, something else has got to be better. So I went out and got trained on everything else and then kept coming back to value selling. So as I went from individual contributor to sales executive to sales and marketing executive running these teams and growing these organizations, I kept relying on this framework, on this approach. Uh, because it kept everybody focused on what the other individual was thinking, feeling, doing. Uh, it gave us a how to connect other individuals, which it sounds so simple, but so many people struggle with. After the last ten years of selling digital transformation services, mobile and and you know anything with a screen, we designed the apps, did the the customer experience research and things like that last company I was with decided to go a different direction and I got contacted by the same guy who trained me 17 years ago. Who said, Hey, you need to come do this. You're very passionate about it. You've succeeded. You've failed. You've implemented other things that haven't worked. You've, you knocked it out of the park with this and you love working with sales teams. So you should come do this. So about two and a half years ago, Made the decision, made the jump and started, you know, kind of our own company focused on helping uh, organizations, whether it be marketing, sales, consultants, doesn't matter, anything that generates revenue, help them understand how to connect to other individuals using a repeatable conversational consultative framework that drives the type of results they want and have not looked back. And
1: it has been one hell of a wild ride. Well, that's really refreshing. I mean, you know, one of my frustrations in sales and marketing is often people think, well, it's just sales and marketing. It's easy. I can do that. Or my girlfriend can help me or my kids know social media. And so you get these people that are speaking and training and selling courses and they really don't have any life experience. They haven't banged their face at, you know, or fallen down or got kicked or run over a few times while they're down (laughs) and and got back up. Right. So it's like, hey, you know, I'll just post this stuff. So, yeah, when I looked at your background, I thought, wow, this is really cool. Here's someone who's done it who's done it well and is still doing it, but you're teaching it. So congrats on that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey because the best part for me was like, all right, I got into sales like most everybody else. I thought, well, hell, that's where the money is, so that's where I'm going. But what for me, you know, we talk to sales reps all the time. For me, the intrinsic reward is the problem solving. And I, there's just something about my makeup and I don't know, disc and, you know, all of those personality profiles still haven't (laughs) told me what it is, but there's something or my my therapist haven't told me what it is (laughs) that, that keeps me focused on and engaged in solving problems. But I love doing it from an organizational level. And, and specifically, I really enjoy working with sales reps and coaching them to help them overcome their own uh, lack of awareness. And so it's been a very interesting transition because I am definitely type A squared, like work Work, there's no work life balance because it's all work uh, other than when I'm on the back of the motorcycle uh, i just love what i do but if you had asked me when i was you know playing with my gi joes and transformers when i was a kid if i would someday be doing sales transformation marketing transformation training for organizations hell no this is not not the answer you would have gotten
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, when you said you did your disc, I'm thinking, yeah, you're probably type A. I was in in a situation where I was in a room full of people. They divided us up by personality types. And I did make a transformation after being in that room because I was the only guy that was type A that hadn't had a heart attack yet. Ugh, so, so I yeah. figured okay, so this is a hint. I <laughs> have, a, have a bit of problem by doubling your work effort, doubling your work effort over and over and over again. I better get that in check. But onto the sales stuff, so where do you think the low-hanging fruit and the opportunities are for you know individuals, consultants or people in the sales role to to you know make a, a, a radical change like where's the where are the easy points to take a look at? You know, it, it, it's a great question because you look you look at it on the market, and we all we're inundated with all
0: of these pundits and people who have ideas and all these tactics. And you know, the theme of the week changes, or whatever's getting the most hits on this social platform or that social platform. And there's some good stuff out there. Like I'm not
1: dogging all of
0: it. Yeah, uh, that's, it's just that's a lot. Us
1: marketing guys bringing all this new stuff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, it's a there's a lot to take in. And there's a lot to process. It's a lot to think about and actually make your own. And and. That has to happen, right? We all have to stay on top of what are the trends? What are are we seeing technology-wise? We have to stay on top of that. But what I see is the easiest, literally the simplest transformative point uh, for professionals that are generating revenue, consultants, marketing, sales, is to start with their perspective, if they can shift their perspective because they control that just a little i'm not talking about reconfiguring tiger woods swing right i'm just talking about move your thumb just a little bit on the golf club and i'm not that's about as far as i can go with golf analogies cuz i'm not a big golfer but <laughs> if you if you just shift your perspective a little bit and stop looking at the world through only your eyes but literally attempt to try and understand where the other individual is coming from your success rate goes through the roof. You, you no longer will see as much trouble maintaining credibility, gaining or maintaining credibility and rapport. There's, it's easier and more collaborative to create and, and hold on to the urgency that's necessary in a revenue generation cycle. It's easier to uncover and learn from other individuals to come up with better solutions. And all you have to do is shift your perspective, take the time, Take a deep breath, which is funny coming from a guy who's Now, now I'm worried I'm going to have a heart attack because I'm type A. <laughs> but it's, it's, all it is is a little shift of perspective, and a lot of people struggle with it. And that is, I think, one of the easiest things for individuals to do to start that transformation process.
1: Well, so walking through that and, you know, just working that out. So I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting in an office and I'm a sales rep for XYZ company, and I'm now sitting in front of the purchasing agent. And you're saying, so shift my thinking to understand where they're at. Where are most people at that are sitting on the sales side of the desk opposed to the guy who's sitting on the other side who's got the checkbook?
0: They're all worried. The vast majority, and I don't like absolutes again, something else I learned in therapy. They're all worried about them. They're all worried about their sales cycle. They're worried about how they're selling. They're worried about what their perception is. You know, they're worried about their timelines. They're not taking the time to understand that we can influence the timeline. But it isn't our timeline that's going to complete a sale. It isn't our timeline that's going to find somebody to fill the top of the funnel. We have to uncover what the other people are thinking about, how they are thinking about the problems, understand the context in which they are operating to better connect what we do to it. It's also the easiest way to differentiate. So if I'm trying to differentiate, you know, product A, B and C, and it's literally just products and features. I mean, we've all heard it's about, you got to show what, about a 5X, 6X improvement over somebody if you're trying to get rid of an incumbent. But if you just stop and ask the right questions, you don't have to differentiate against the competitors. You only have to differentiate in the other individual's perception. And the easiest way to do that is by asking the questions and working with them. Most sales reps aren't doing that because we drive them quarter to quarter They are worried to death that they're not going to hit their quota, and that becomes the primary motivating point in in their horizon, in their timeline. So they can't seem to take the time just to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm sitting across the desk from a purchasing agent. This This person, procurement, you know what? They probably have MBOs or get comped around how much money they save for the organization. So how am I going to make their job easier? And you can tell with some easy questions, and if you've got any semblance of of emotional intelligence, that person's having a good day or a bad day. You just have to pay attention to it. And I don't, you know, there's all these cute words like mirror their posture and behavior, all right, whatever. It's another human being sitting across from you. So they have similar fears. They have similar goals. But we don't know what their pers- their specific pers- perception of reality is. We just have to ask. And if we can just understand that, we have a much better chance of being able to connect with that individual, get the trust necessary to get a, a deal done, right? You have to have the trust and the credibility, maintain the credibility, and build the rapport. But it's all about, hey, I've got this cool new product or we just released, you know, release 4.9.7.1, which has this feature that's going to change your life. And if you don't sign up today, it's going to cost you it's all of that kind of crap that nobody wants to hear. Most people, <laughs> most people just want somebody to recognize them, to see them, to understand them. And it sounds, and I know it sounds really touchy feely. And if you <laughs> could see me, I'm. I think Steve Sims said he was. He was five something. I'm I'm six two, bald, and he said ugly all the time. I'm I'm ugly even longer. And so it it you just well, have to. I wasn't to gonna I wasn't gonna
1: say that, but I was gonna say you don't look like a touchy feely guy. I'm not I really touchy feely, wanna, which just is where I keep I'm going. my keep my distance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, depending on uh, uh, which perspective I'm in at the moment, it could be it could be <laughs> different, right? I mean, I I love working with I love working with people, but I'm i I'm like don't don't sugarcoat it. Let's be honest. Have the, have the self-control, the self-awareness that you need to accept feedback and understand that me just telling you, you're doing great, isn't going to make you better. Yeah, Like we have to challenge and push each other. But again, how you present that is all about the other person's perception and perspective. And most of those people sitting across from that purchasing agent, they're thinking about their boss. Yeah, They're not worrying about how that purchasing agent's thinking about their boss.
1: Right. And the person agent, like you said, maybe thinking, hey, if I make the wrong decision, I could get fired. And there's all these things that they're worried about and and making their quarter or saving their, you know, working within their budget. So I guess once the salesperson can get, you know, they change their mind that, hey, you know, if the sales cycle in my industry is three months, it doesn't really matter what my quota is with my boss. Once I get my sales funnel full, I'll be hitting my numbers, but maybe the, the little bit of time it's going to take to, to understand their perception, like you said, will eventually come to play and, and, and bear fruit, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a lot, right? Like So we all know if you're in sales, or if you're a consultant who has to book a certain number of hours, or if you're in marketing, you have to put enough things out to generate enough of top funnel activity for the conversion rates. Okay, this first off, it none of it happens without effort. So those people that you run across that end up in those positions, and they're looking to punch a clock. Okay, uh, move on. This, this is these are all disciplines, sales, marketing, consulting, these are all disciplines. And in order to master this plan it takes effort. So when sales, specifically, if you want top of funnel and you want it full, like, I think I've heard, i want three X or four X, you know, I don't know that I have a target. I just know when I've got enough that I have what John Barrow's would refer to as FU pipeline. I can, let some deals go and not have to worry about it, right? So when we're looking at those types of things, that takes effort. So you still have to do the prospecting. You still have to do all of the things that everybody knows how to do in a sale. You have to find them. You have to engage them. You have to qualify them. You have to advance them. You have to close them, right? Everybody, whatever your steps are, whatever your process is. But the way to make the sales cycle shrink And the way to make the deal sizes bigger is to shift the perspective so that you're building your differentiation, not around your product versus another product, but your product versus the buyer's perception of their problems and the challenges that they have. It's as simple as asking questions. And now it takes a, you know, we all move so fast. There's a natural way to go through this. Hence why you rely on, you know, a framework to keep you honest honest right? Keep you yep. prompted, so to speak. So you don't miss anything. But it's literally just I tell a lot of sales reps, hey, what's the what is the favorite thing you like to do? They, they always say the same thing. We like to talk. Yep. Great. The secret to your success is to shut up and listen.
1: Yeah, that I remember once in a sales, uh, sales situation when I was looking as actually working for somebody else. I remember asking the closing question, the guy said to me, so I hear that you're being recruited by, the, uh, you know, one of our competitors. He says, are you going to go to the interview? I said, I guess that depends. Are you going to hire me? <laughs> and I just sat there, crossed my arms, and sweat through my suit for about three, four minutes, knowing that whoever spoke first was going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just it. I mean, it's a lot of it is common sense, right? A lot of, a lot
0: of this, and you know, in sales enablement and marketing enablement, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of what we call, I refer to as sales R and D, rip off and duplicate, right? A lot of the stuff we all know how to sell. We understand the process. We know the fundamental or or have been exposed to the fundamental processes of of marketing or consulting. Now, the challenge is to do it well. And because of all of the investments that companies like Amazon and Apple and Disney and Verizon, all these B2C companies have made in what they call, quote unquote, CX, customer experience, all of your B2B buyers have different expectations today of the experience from their B2B sellers than they had five, ten years ago, whether they're aware of it or not. If you have an Amazon Prime account, right, everybody has that, that app, and you say, well, why do you have it? Well, it's convenient. It, I want to see a drone deliver my packages someday. I like the free movies. <laughs> Whatever it is, right, it, yeah. it gives you what you want where you want it, when you want it, and often how you want it, in what time frame you want it. So we've spoiled, we're spoiling ourselves. Technology is essentially shortening our attention spans. There's psychology and a whole bunch of reports out there to prove that. There's even some easy tests you can realize it's happening and you're not even aware of it, some letter tests that we could do. But it's like if you understand that, the expectation of your buyer is not to be challenged aggressively, not to be, not to go into a situation where there's friction, but they're used to having their life catered to them through all of these technological advancements. Alexa, find me the perfect marketing SaaS solution. The minute somebody can say that and and Alexa knows that individual well enough, then we got a problem. We're a long way from that. (laughs) So we're still at a point where people buy from people. Now we have shorter attention spans, sales reps have to be much more strategic in the way that they engage with an individual, be very aware of the experience they're giving the other individual, the other person, and make sure that we're doing it. If you want to be transformative and you want to be effective, just ask the questions from their perspective, uncover their perception, their perspective and connect to it rather than attempt to show them how you connect to other solutions in the market.
1: So can you give us a specific example and like name a client or not name a client of, you know, uh, how you would kind of reframe your thinking and, and ask those types of questions?
0: Sure. So, I mean, we work with,
1: we work with companies from, you know, uh,
0: Adobe, uh, Google, in healthcare, it's Warfarin. It all comes down to, it doesn't matter what industry. That's the beauty of this. It's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter what the industry is because it's all people. <laughs> Everybody's still buying from people. So if we think about, let's, let's think about, say, uh, company that's a marketing SaaS company. There's six thousand eight hundred and twenty-five of them, or whatever it is today, in the in the Martech five. <laughs> oh, is, is that all? Yeah, and and probably in the time that we did this interview, two more will have been founded. <laughs> yeah. All right, but they keep they keep going on and on. Now we do a lot of work in the Martech space, and we've worked with a lot of those companies. And it's as simple as literally, how do you differentiate in a sea of over six thousand potential competitors? Not to mention competing against internal initiatives, right, and status quo, which still catches a lot of people off guard and kills a lot of deals. So if you're talking to, let's say, a marketing manager, and you're talking to that marketing manager, and all you have to do is a little bit of research. Like, there's three easy steps to do this. you got to do a little bit of research to understand what is the business objective or the organizational objective for the company in which your buyer resides. So most companies, let's just assume it's revenue growth, or maybe it's a market... Expansion. So if you think about that as like a sheet of glass balanced on the top of the CEO's head, this is what the organization is targeting. And then you break that and it shatters down through the organization. Then you get down to a different level, each of those shards becomes the primary focal point for an individual in that organization that resolves back to helping the organization achieve its goal. The lower you go in the organization, the less likely that individual is to be aware of how their role is actually empowering the organization to achieve its goals. Sure. So, with the research, we have the context. Hey, I was preparing for you know it sounds something like hey, I was preparing for this meeting. Notice that your CEO stated you wanted to reach two billion in revenue by 2020 and increase your margins by X. Let's say five percent. So that's a corporate objective marketing manager gets tasked with, hey, you need to increase, let's say 25% increase in the number of tra- amount of traffic through our e-commerce site and and reduce the card abandonment rate by 50% in the next six months. That's a biz- what we call a business issue. It's time bound. It's quantifiable, right? So yeah. We can make some well-educated guesses if you understand business, if you understand how organizations work, if you understand how those roles work, marketing versus IT versus whatever. And we instead of saying, hey, this is what you're focused on, hey, I did some research. This is what your CEO said the goal, the goal of the organization is. Other individuals like you that I've worked with have focused on decreasing uh, abandonment, card abandonment rate. Is that what you're focused on? So I'm showing I did my homework, It's and it's so simple. I did my homework, (laughs) I work with people like you, but I really want to understand your perspective. So I'm going to ask them questions to get them talking, and then I'm going to specifically, once I understand what it is they're being measured, not necessarily just measured on, but the thing they're focused on that is time-bound and quantifiable, allowing me to inject urgency into the deal, I'm going to ask them, so what problems are getting in the way? And then I'm going to shut up and listen. (laughs) It's that, it's literally that simple. Then when you get more strategic, you ask probing questions specifically to expand that person's view of the problem set so that they include problems that you know only you can solve. So for example, if I was working for a company, I'm talking to this marketing manager, they've got to do card abandonment rate. He, he asks, you ask, what are the problems? He says, well, I don't have a team that understands the tech stack or I don't have, um, you know, I don't have a fully integrated, so we've got too many point solutions here. Okay, well, have you ever struggled with having purchased software that required too much setup and was never fully adopted inside of the organization? Oh, yeah, we struggle with that all the time. Wow. Well, yeah. I know our system is like a quick turn on. It's just literally, like, we can just turn it on and it starts to work, right? And so then we say, okay, well, these are all the problems you're talking about. Help me understand what do you think the optimal solution is? I mean, we probably know 98% of what they're going to say. Yeah. But it's the process of getting them to self-discover and us being able to hear it in their words, which then allows us to take back to them their own language. It says, "Well, I want a solution that, you know, it's easy to I want a solution that's simple. It's got a nice user interface. I don't have to have data experts to use it." Well, what if you could have a solution that literally could be spun up in say 48 hours and could be, you could be generating uh, results and easy to understand reports for your executives within three days. Yeah, I definitely want that. Right. So now I took that problem that we know we can uniquely solve and I turned it into expanding their solution set to include an element of a solution we know we can uniquely provide. And it's, it's subtle, but it's more about getting them to tell us they want us. Than us telling them that they really need us, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. It's interesting because one of the you know the guys that somebody had interviewed in my podcast recently came to mind, and and they're in the CRM space, and um, he's been in the CRM space for a long time, and they've come up with a brand new AI type solution that addresses that exact issue. Is one of the problems is that you have fill in the blank. And the adoption rate, you're only using thirty percent of it or twenty percent of it. and Your salespeople hate it. What if I could give you a solution that I guarantee a hundred percent adoption rate, or I'll give you your money back? Yeah, pretty pretty compelling, you know, offer.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's 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 really more about having the customer tell you. So I can, I can give you another example, and I can't name the company, but we'll just say it's a very large telecom company that I actually sold to. And the way that this works is. I started talking to the marketing manager, met the marketing manager at an event. And then he comes to me and says, Hey, I need to gamify my point of sale system. So, if, if you think about where you are in a conversation in a, in a normal buying process, this person's already telling you what they want for the solution. Yep. And so it's just as simple as great. Help me understand what it is you're looking for in that solution set, why you want to gamify the point of sale. And I start to ask, Tell me what problems you think gamifying the point of sale will solve. Well, as we back up, we find out that this marketing manager was tasked with increasing adherence and adoption of the point of sale system for uh, for sales tracking by 30% in that particular fiscal year. But that's not where he started the conversation. That was just how that person was going to be measured. From their perspective, they're so far down the way the human brain naturally works in problem-solving, they were already thinking about solution. Most salespeople would be like, great, I've got a gamification solution. Here's the contract signed tomorrow. Well... That marketing manager had $80,000 in budget. Once I traveled back and found out what he was being measured on, that marketing manager, that business issue, that time-bound measurable thing that they were focused on actually falls under the category of problem for the director of marketing. And the director of marketing has signed that specific problem to that marketing manager. So using some negotiation, got access to the next level up. And I started asking him, why do you need greater usage of the point of sale system? Well, he was tasked with increasing per rep uh, quota achievement uh, in the retail space by 15% in the next six months. And in his mind, one of the problems was that people weren't using the point of sale. So he assigned that out to this guy, made that his number one, the marketing manager, the number one focus. So he started asking the questions. And then you get back, you figure out, okay, I'm going to get access to the VP, the area vice president. The area vice president looks at it and says, that's a problem. What what he's tasked the director with, the increase in rep quota attainment, is actually, in his perspective, a problem. Why is it a problem for him? He's been tasked with increasing area revenue, per store revenue, by 25% in the next fiscal year. And when you start to ask him about his perception of the problems, he tells you, my reps aren't hitting enough quota. And it bubbles down all going back up the chain to this business objective that the organization set. Now, it's a very simple stair-step cascade kind of thought process. But as simple as it is for your listeners to switch their perspective, they have to first understand they're their best weapon and their worst enemy. Because we are our own worst enemies when it comes to taking the time to just think through this and think like this.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, no, I just think of the times I've been in sales calls, and you're right. Often you're thinking about what I need to do, what I need to do, what I need to do, because I've left a sales meeting or I've left a client, and that's the goal without backing up and saying, okay, so the person that I need to sign this today for me, what do they need? And you're right. You forget about that.
0: Yeah. And if you don't take that time to really think about it, then nobody, you know, they're going to give you the same information they're going to give the competitor. And then, You haven't really established the trust. I mean, people buy from people they trust that move them away from problems and towards solutions. Yes, that shows up on one of our slides, probably with a little TM or some bullshit after it that marketing put on there. But at the heart of it, it's true, right? You you work with people, you surround yourself with people that understand you, that have a similar worldview. And it is not that difficult to understand another person's perspective or to uncover it. It requires preparation. It requires all of the things that we know you're supposed to do in a sales cycle or in a consulting approach or in marketing. It just requires you to shift the perspective just a little so that you're focused on building it from the customer or the buyer back. So part of this is the CX, the time I spent in CX around design thinking and all of the things that those organizations were doing to build customer journey maps customer buying maps, whatever they were calling them, empathy maps, we did all of that stuff. But what it taught me very clearly was that if I don't understand the individual that I'm that I'm working with, that I'm targeting with, then all I am going to do is spin cycles, chasing down answers to questions that are irrelevant. Because the relevance is around the buyer's perception of relevance, not what we think we need. So you may have a sales process, and, and if your listeners have this, I, I feel for you, I've been there too, that there's 223 steps you have to take. And if you take these steps and you fill out Salesforce at exactly the right moment and exactly the right way, poof, magic fairy dust, you close the deal. Not, doesn't happen that way. The sales process is built to drive predictability for the organization you work for. So it's more about how the organization wants you to sell. When in reality, if we align with the way the person you're talking to wants to buy, by understanding their perception, we can move through that process faster. And there, we've, we learn that there are some steps that our organization may need
1: that actually get in the way of closing a deal faster. Sure, because it's convenient for your organization and not the client. Sure. It's more about us. It's yeah. more about how the organization
0: goes to market, how the organization sells. I mean, when I started doing CX, man, 12, sort up to 13, 12 years ago, um, no, no, wonder my goatee is gray. When <laughs> we, when we started doing that, th- th- trying to explain to corporate executives, the concept of experience, the concept of everything that goes into that customer loyalty, right? That customer's journey. And let's be really honest, right? Cause I, again, I'm a no BS kind of guy. Customer experience is a really cute way to basically say, Hey, I just want to spend more time with you so I can keep my hand in your wallet longer and get more out of it, okay? So the brand loyalty and what we want because you know the, of the generational changes, people want to feel important. They want to feel like they're recognized. They want to align themselves with these brands. So they're willing to do that. They're willing to let you put your hand in their wallet over and over and over if they get something out of it. Well, what they get out of it is the emotional connection and response from your brand or the experience they have with that. And that is becoming more, it builds off of that Me Too Instagram selfie Hey, check me out kind of culture that we're seeing. And it's bleeding into the way that B2B has to operate in order to be effective. And it's literally boils down to you go all the way down the chain. It's literally just a shift of perspective.
1: Well, and I think you can take that shift uh, of perspective and apply it to everything you're doing, sales and marketing and, and back it right up to, you know, what does that perspective visitor to your website? What's the problem they're trying to solve? And what do they expect to see when they get there?
0: Sure. And there's now, now this is where the tech stack and the tools, if we, if we structure it correctly, right, we take that shift of perspective. So it'll impact the way that you sell it because it impacts the way you interact with another individual, the questions that you ask, the order in which you ask them, the way that you help them come to that self-discovery from a marketing standpoint. Now, if I shift my persona development from say, thinking about all of these demographics to I think about what that person is thinking about, the perspective. If they hit my website on page A and I the, the data shows me that they go from A to you know page two, page four, page nine, and then convert. Or if they come in, you know, the backside of the website and they go through a different progression, I my data tells me how they're going to end up or convert. So if we know that and we know where that historical data has come from, where they ended up as a result, we can start to understand where that person is in their mental processing of finding a solution. So we tailor the content and the journey based around, and you can, even, you know, all the A-B testing you want, all of the tracking of the, you know, the glass box digital actually let you see where people are clicking on a website. So you can use all of that. But you structure your approach to them based off really tailoring it to their perception, their perspective, their experience in every step of the way, not just this concept of customer experience. Once they're in, I want to keep them. This is how do you attract them. This is how do you provide them the information that's gonna be valuable to them based on where they are in the thought process of finding the optimal solution.
1: Yeah, and I think the other side of that is how you attract them is it's just, and how do you repel the people that you don't want, which is which is really like you said, it's qualifying. You know, you want to have the right people in the tent and the and the wrong people outside the tent and just focus on the people that are that are a fit. <laughs>
0: well, right? yeah, how much I mean we've all probably chased the deals. I mean, I will own it. I tell stories all the time. The, the stories about the deals I won are nowhere near as exciting as the ones where I lost my ass. <laughs> because that's those are the ones you learn from, right? And yeah. so we've all chased the deals. We've all gone down the rabbit hole after a deal that we knew. Knew, this wasn't going to happen, but we just all we saw were the dollar signs. All we saw was how much it was going to impact my pipeline or whatever it may be, you know. So qualifying out, but I think you
1: need to be, yeah, and you think you need to be adaptive, like you've said. You need to listen. I was down meeting with a big a big bank, a Hong Kong bank, years ago, and they wanted us to do some analytical work for them on their on their sales funnel and their data. And we went in there and looked, and I was with our sales rep, and I said, "Yeah, I don't think you guys have a data problem. I can I can do what you need. I think you have a you have a lead problem." <laughs> And the guy said, you're right. And so we ended up with a three-year contracting lead generation for them and didn't do any of the analytics that they originally invited us to because, like you said, you pay attention, find out what the customer's sore point was, and they clearly needed more leads than they did uh, to analyze what they did have.
0: Yeah, and it's that that listening. I mean, it's so so damn touchy feely. Like again, we throw around words like active <laughs> listening and authenticity, and I have I have a real hard time with some of the packaging on this stuff because it's a little it's a little contrary to just my natural state of existence. However, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm smart enough guided to, to know that that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. And so, if you listen. Oftentimes, people will take the problems that they hear from another individual, and they'll think that that individual is telling them the the honest God's truth. This is what what my problem is. When in reality, they're often moving so fast, they're giving you multiple problems from multiple goals or, or metrics that they're trying to achieve, and they're mixing them up. So if you don't listen and really kind of take that moment to put together the pieces of the puzzle from their perception, their perspective, you could miss huge opportunities. This is how we see deal sizes increase 30, 40, 50 percent just by teaching reps how to ask the right questions, capture the information and put it together in a way that gives you a more complete picture than one individual in an organization is going to be able to give you.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So let's move, uh, move along to a different area. What are you most excited about in the next six to 12 months, you know, based on the, you know, the kind of work that you're doing, what you see in the world and in, in this industry?
0: Well, the, you know, I could easily say, oh, there's all this awesome technology coming out. <laughs> and there are some very cool tools out there. And I have to admit, self, self-confessed self uh, tech geek, I play with them all. There's probably still a part of me in the back of my head believes there'll be a silver bullet someday, but we haven't found it yet. Uh, in terms of what I personally, like personal focus and what I'm the most excited about, um, I'm going on a two-week motorcycle trip up through Yellowstone and Idaho Springs. So that's the personal, personal side of it. From the business side of it, I'm going to be really interested to see if there if we actually get to a point in martech where there's going to be some consolidation. The expansion rate has been unreal and you have companies, um, you know, the sizes of Salesforce and Adobe and the big ones out there uh, that are starting to make some acquisitions. You know, Adobe picked up Magento and uh, Salesforce is always acquiring something, but it's not the rate of consolidation that you would expect. So what I find really intriguing about that is there are a lot of impressive point solutions, what I would call point solutions out there, have some really well-developed, well-thought-out uh, technology, whether it be the AI or the machine learning they put on the back end or how, how they structure their algorithms, but they really are a point solution. And I would have thought by now some of these bigger players would have more aggressively acquired some of those point solutions, but they're I'm not seeing the acquisition as fast as I would have expected. So I'm really curious over the rest of 2019 to see if if there is more of that strategic acquisition or if there's somebody comes along and just sweeps up a big swath of it all at once because the numbers on how fast You know, marketing, that market is growing, you know, Martech is growing. There's still a lot of money to be made there for people that can figure out and do it right. So I'm excited to see how that kind of unfolds.
1: Well, you just may be way ahead of the curve because of your experience. I mean, I I think, you know, I, I would hate to be a marketing director for a marketing solution provider that's got tons of legacy. Because I'd be definitely afraid of what's happening with the more nimble guys that are using AI and machine learning that are probably going to come in and eat my lunch and we're going to have to buy them or going to lose, uh, lose clients to them.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the, the two people and a dog in a garage in Georgia
1: that, that people have to be worried
0: about. <laughs> I mean, it definitely is in that space because the, it's so accessible now, right? I mean, you can do, you can do multi-platform SaaS solutions, depending on how, how extensive the backend database is or the underlying algorithms. You can spin those up fairly quickly. I mean, all of the, you know, the speed of innovation has definitely increased simply because of all the tools that exist to help support it. And so it's definitely interesting to see guys that have, you know, I mean, Salesforce been around for a while and it's beyond a Leatherman or a Gerber for sales. I mean, it's literally like everything you need to build a small sales city. Well, some of the organizations that we're seeing out there, it can be heavy. Not that it's not a great solution for global organizations. It has amazing ability to be tailored, but it's almost overwhelming for some organizations. And in a buying environment where B2B buyers really want less friction, yep. they want more streamlined solution. Looking at a Salesforce, can, I mean, it literally, you can almost get speechless because there's so many things you could do with it. And that also creates its own type of frictions, friction through absence. And so it, it, you're right with the legacy stuff. It's going to be very interesting to see who can be nimble enough. I mean, it took, what, Salesforce, four years, five years that I'm aware of to redo the interface to get the Lightning. So some of these legacy guys are going to, it's the guys in Georgia with the dog that I would be the most worried about.
1: So what's some of the bad advice that you hear when you're out, you know, you're out doing business, you're out in meetings, you're at a conferences, and you hear somebody say something that, that, you know, with regards to sales, that just kind of makes you cringe. You want to go over and slap them. <laughs>
0: How much time do we have left? Um,
1: Well, just just give us one.
0: (laughs) One. (laughs) I'd say the one that is a hot button for me is when I still hear people talk about how social, quote unquote, social selling is the answer or social engagement is the answer. So you don't need to engage with people on the phone. You don't have to perfect your email. I, I think that is a cop out. Quite frankly, first and foremost, the social engagement is a channel. It is one channel of many that you, as a sales or professional consultant marketer, have at your disposal to engage with individuals. Most people want to hide behind social because the rejection hurts less. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like you know man up a little bit. put put some steel in the spine and understand that rejection is part of the game. It's just that it's the way. Look, if you're in sales specifically and you don't know how to handle rejection that let's talk about a change in career. Let's look at maybe, you know, maybe some guidance counseling here on, did we choose the right career? Cause this is the name of the game. Rejection, you know, it takes what 11 to 16 nos to get a yes. And they show up in multiple ways and everybody's inundated all of the time. Attention spans are getting shorter. Why would I only use one channel? Why would I, only rely on social if I'm trying to get in front of somebody to understand their perspective, share with them something I believe they will find valuable that demonstrates I did my homework. Why in the hell would I only use social? I think that is some of the worst advice. And there are gentlemen that I've had, let's say, passionate exchanges with. In in uh, probably shouldn't have done it online, but have done it at, at conferences. I think it provides. Uh, I think it provides too narrow of a view for people that are in sales, marketing, and consulting today. That if they embrace that, there's it's going to handicap their success. They're Ability to be successful, it doesn't prov- provide enough of the spatial reasoning necessary to succeed with all of the different ways, from snail mail to digital, you know, LinkedIn, Snapchat, like all of these things you have at your disposal. Why would all I worry about is a, is Twitter and LinkedIn and how many likes I get? A like on social media is like a golf clap, right? It's sound and fury, signifying absolutely nothing. So those likes aren't going to help you close the deal. So I constantly hear it. In fact, I run into it. I would say on a weekly basis, when I'm working with teams, there's always somebody who's, "Oh, well, I'm more successful with social." Okay, did you hit your quota the last four quarters? N- no. Okay, then this conversation's over. There's nothing. To, you got it wrong. Let's talk about something that's actually making sense. What successful. you
1: mean is you're more comfortable with social because you you felt good about yourself, like you were working. <laughs> right. But you didn't. You didn't make the money for your company or yourself. Right. I mean, it's basically I'm hiding. Yeah yeah and I, I see that all the time with people in marketing I'm going to rebuild my website I'm going to do new, new email marketing and they have all these things I'm going why don't we go get some sales first <laughs> yeah, right. and then and then after we get some sales then then I will help you rebuild your website but that's not the reason you're not getting sales right so let's let's deal with the sales thing first and then I'm happy to take your money and and build websites and help you with social media and do all that other stuff so
0: yeah if you don't have the revenue like you can you can stand around and, and do you can spend you can spend a lot of money I mean how i don't know the exact stat but somebody was telling me something about how the vast majority of the martech the larger martech companies uh the big sweethearts are not profitable and in fact lyft is a perfect i mean it's not martech but lyft just goes public and specifically says in their in their documents to go public we're not sure if we're ever going to turn a profit say what what world are we living in like i thought business was around to generate revenue and you see all of these companies that aren't doing that so There's a bad example out there for people to fall into, right, when they're building these businesses. But at the end of the day, if you can't build the revenue pipe, if you can't connect to somebody's perspective who actually has a problem you can solve, then what? all you're doing is wasting money with, oh, let's put video on the website or let's try this or let's try that.
1: Yep. I hear you. Amen. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I imagine I've heard people say, Hey, I want to compete with Lyft and I want to compete with Uber. And to your point, <laughs> go look at Lyft. Lyft's a public company with lots of public funding. They say they can't make it work. So what makes you think you're, you know, that's the right industry.
0: Yeah. Nothing makes me cringe more than, well, we're the, we're the Uber of, or we're the Lyft yep. of.
1: Okay. I don't want to, I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> Let's dig it. So if people want to connect with you and not just like your uh, your posts on Instagram, how can they connect with you and, and have a deeper relationship? Uh, the easiest way right now is going to be
0: just on LinkedIn. You can find me. It's very easy. Bald uh, bald guy. Bald, really, really bald. It used to be red goatee. Now, Gray, you can hit chadsanderson.com. Uh, it, that is a way I'll be right up front. It's a website in progress. It should be uh, fully operational here in the next uh, couple of days. Uh, or you know what? I'm a believer in the phone. I'm a believer in just pick up the phone and call me. So I'll go ahead and give your listeners my number. It's 303-834-5932. I do answer the phone when it rings. I'm not like people who swear they they don't answer it anymore. So any of those three ways would be great and be happy to have a
1: conversation. That's amazing. You're the first person out of a hundred, just about 150 episodes that's ever given their phone number out.
0: Well, it's funny. So like, you know, I, 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 run a podcast to and talk to executives. And we always ask at the end of every episode, how does somebody get in touch with you? If they don't have a referral, they don't have a reference, they haven't been able to build that credibility with you. And I would say that eight out of the 10 executives, eight out of 10 executives will tell you, they will pick up the phone if somebody calls them, but you better have done your homework. And so I, you know, I've seen more success. I personally have closed more business using a strategic cadence-based approach that leverages all of those channels at my disposal. And one of those happens to be the phone. So I'm happy to pick up the phone if, I am not, if I'm not in a workshop, if I'm not engaged with a client. Uh, I travel all the time. So I'm happy to pick up the phone and talk.
1: Okay. One, one quick story Seeing as you brought it up. I, um, <laughs> w- when people connect with me on LinkedIn, I have my EA go through and kind of vet them to make sure they're real people, not just somebody in some weird country trying to sell stuff. Right. And one of the things we do in the welcome message, basically after asking them if there's something they couldn't find, how could we help them is there's a link to my calendar to book a full appointment. And I probably have one call a week.
0: Oh yeah. It it amazes me. So this, so this goes back to, I don't want to, I mean, if we've got to stop, you can (laughs) shut me up. You know what happens when you hit the hot button topics with me? I have the same thing, right? I have in every email I send, there's a link to book time with chat. Here's my calendar. Like literally anybody can book time. I tell people in workshops, I will, and outside of the contractual arrangement I have with your organization, if you as from one professional to another want some help, If you have an account you want to brainstorm, if you need to get strategic, if you want me to review something, call me. Just reach out. And what's interesting is in the last two and a half years, I've had three individuals only take me up on that out of hundreds that I have worked with. And each of those three have consistently been 124 or greater percent of quota.
1: There you go. So, one more time, what's your phone number? 303 834 5932 so there you go listeners there's another episode of real marketing real fast chad had lots of energy so it was a super fast episode lots of content we're going to make sure the notes are transcribed but i think the message came through loud and clear you need to shift your thinking to think like your prospect whether it's face-to-face or using all the social tools and online tools so thanks again for tuning in thanks chad for uh, being so generous and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners Been my absolute pleasure So there you go. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, Make sure that you uh, head over to iTunes. If you're not subscribed, don't be shy and subscribe. Leave us a comment, and we look forward to serving you on our next episode.
0: That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next
1: time. We look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.